Uh, please give it up for a gentleman who this year has won Ironman Boulder. He has gone, he went 755 at uh, Ironman Florida, and he took second at the 70.3 World Championships. Give it up for Mr. Sam Long. So, we're here. There we go. What's that? And when it was 8,000 degrees. Right. Exactly. So I want to make sure we're good videography-wise. We're good? All right. Cool. I always forget to do that. How you doing, Sam the Man? I'm doing awesome. It's great to be here. Hello, everyone. <laughs> yo, yo, yo. Yeah, yo, yo, yo. <laughs> yo, yo, yo. So what did you think? Your first time standing a triathlon challenge this oh, weekend. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, it was really an amazing weekend. And... I'm glad you uh, called me and said you got to come see this and yeah it just puts a lot into perspective of uh, how grateful someone like myself is and kind of to have you know God-given abilities that I have and, and to realize I, I need to use that to make a difference in the world. Awesome. So take me back growing up uh, is, is somebody who grew up in Boulder, Colorado you would assume triathlon is going to be my sport. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm home of Dave Scott is here and all these great legends. Was triathlon your first sport? No, 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 not by any means. Uh, you would think it would have been. Um, I mean, I was actually best friends with Dave Scott's daughter growing up, but I had no idea what triathlon even was growing up in Boulder. <laughs> and uh, I, was a, I was a team sports guy, big team sports. So soccer, football, and then skiing. Those were kind of my three sports. And with skiing, were you thinking competitive skiing? Oh yeah, I always wanted to be like one of those Red Bull athletes jumping off the cliffs and you know getting the cool videos and um, and then as my brain matured, I started to realize this is a little bit crazy, <laughs> but it didn't mature that much. What actually happened is I, I jumped off a cliff and I tore my MCL yes. my senior year of high school and that's when triathlon got started because my rehab, I could use, uh, I could swim with a pull buoy and bike with a knee brace um, and then my my dad said, hey, why don't you do an Ironman for wait, your wait, rehab? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I don't see the connection. I hurt my knee. Uh, I'm doing some rehab on a bike, and I'm swimming with a pool boy. You should do Ironman. Well, the yeah. connection there doesn't quite Okay, go. well, the, the true story, I've actually never even told you this story. The okay. true story is, so my dad's a banker, so it's all about the, you know, getting the deal, saving the money, and his friend, his friend, had injured himself, so couldn't race. So he said, oh, you can race as, as my friend, my 65-year-old right. friend. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, so we, ha we have a free entry for you, and it costs $800, so it's basically a great deal. Iron Man Boulder. Iron Man Boulder, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're 18 years old. 18 years old. So he tells me this. I go, oh, awesome idea. I start training, and then it's only that we looked up then after the fact, oh, if you get caught racing as someone else, you'd get banned for life from Iron Man. So then we said... Better not do this, because um, imagine, then I want to be here now. Oh, wait, you I'm sorry. Um, sorry. Oh, like, no I was problem. Thinking, I was sorry um, about that. I was thinking, since we're wired up, <laughs> yeah. we don't need that. Okay. So anyways, then we basically said, okay, we better pay for this entry. At this point, it's now sold out. So now, I'm, you know, I've been training for this. I'm 18 years old. I'm driven. I'm passionate. I'm like, it's everything I want to do. So then actually, I raised money for Doctors Without Borders, $2,500 for my first Ironman. So... That's the whole story. <laughs> and, and how did you do with that first Ironman? Um, I won my age group by like 55 minutes, I want to wow. say. <laughs> and you're going, huh, 
maybe that baseball and soccer and all the rest, forget that stuff. And maybe this is my, my sport. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a really, it was almost the single most defining moment of my life crossing that finish line. And it's probably the one I remember the most because in that moment it was like, oh, I'm, I'm really good at something and, and I can do this. And um, I always wanted to just be a professional athlete in something. And finally it was like, this is it. You know, I've been trying every sport in every discipline for years. And, and finally I found something that I can achieve success in. So growing up, you were a triplet. Yep, yep, yes, sir. And the other, other boys, did they get, did you guys all do the same stuff? No, all completely different. Um, I mean, we all did similar things at times, but even to this day, we're so different. So one, one is uh, a Wall Street banker. He lives in New York and is a Wall Street banker. Um, and then the other is a musician for his livelihood. So was it the type <laughs> of thing where you guys, because usually here with twins, triplets, it's either people beating yeah, on each other beating on each other or just sort of going their own way? You guys were sort of going your own way. Yeah, I think, I think also we kind of had to because we were all so competitive. And um, one thing when you're a triplet or a twin or even if you probably have an older brother or an older sister, it's like they're always comparing you to each other. And it's always, oh, if you're not the best at every single thing compared to that other one, you're reminded that you're the worst at it every single day. And, and I think we just each wanted to be good at something. And so we kind of found what we were, what we were good at and then really focused on that um, so that we wouldn't be yeah, told we're the worst at something. So when day. you win your age division Ironman Boulder, that gets you to Kona? Yes, it got me to Kona. Yep. At, yep. I actually didn't go, though. Yeah, why, why go? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, this was in August, and um, my thinking at the time, which you'll see it changed a lot then over the years, but I thought, oh, in Ironman, I'm going to need like six months to recover. So I, I, I did it, and I didn't swim, bike, or run for like a month. because, right. And I said, it's in August, and Kona's in October, and I need a full month off. How can I possibly train? And sure. Uh, so I said, no, no, sir, no, no thank you, I can't go. <laughs> So then, but you were still obviously committed to triathlon. Yeah, yeah. Then I really stepped up the ante. And then, um, I mean, so I also then was a uh, freshman in college going in. So that's the other reason I didn't go was because right. I had to, like, move into a dorm and deal with all the stresses of being a freshman in college. And, um, yeah, I mean, that was probably harder than an Ironman, truthfully. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you then committed. And yes. then I started working with, like, an actual coach and, and started training much more seriously. And then the next summer I went to Ironman Coeur d'Alene as an age grouper and then re-qualified for Kona and then went to Kona in 2015. And what was, when you got there, because that's the, the, you know, that's the epicenter, everybody wants to get to Kona, was it everything you thought it would be? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny, my still, my most uh, prominent memory from that is like when I first landed and Sebastian Keenley was like m my idol at the time. And, driving in, he was running on the side of the road and, and my dad just stopped and we rode right by the side of him and I was cheering him on for like five minutes and, and he had no idea who I wa was and he's probably going, who is this guy? And now, and now, you now know, you I can call him a friend him. and yeah, yeah, I compete yeah. against him. <laughs> that is so funny. And how'd you do that time, your first time in Kona? Uh, I didn't think I did very well. I was seventh in my age group. What type of time? 9.53. Oh, how awful is that? Yeah, 9.53. That really sucks. I can't believe only 9.53. Your first time in Kona. But did that lead you to turning pro? Yeah, so that was, well, it wasn't quite my last, that was my last age group Ironman, actually. Okay. And then 
Uh, I sort of said after that, like, I'm not ready to go pro if I can only go 9.53. Um, so I was a little bit hard on myself, and I said, like, I, I want redemption. And so then I kind of trained hard over the winter and then did 270.3s, and um, I finished, like, in the top 15 pros at both of those 70.3. One was St. George. I think I was actually 17th at St. George. Right. And then right after that, I went pro. And then my first pro race was 70.3 Boulder. But you were probably better at Xterra than at the road triathlons, but you know you were racing at the Xterra at the high level. There just wasn't the money there, right? Yeah, it's true, exactly, yeah. So I was actually more into the Xterra, and, and I was better at it, um, in part because the swim is less of a focus there at the time, <laughs> truthfully. Yeah. And, and there's no draft benefit or legal draft benefit on the bike. And, um, and I grew up mountain biking, so I had the technical skills. But yeah, I was, I was doing pretty well at that, and then realized if I want to pursue this, there's literally no way to make a living really doing that. I mean, right. it's, it was basically impossible. So with, uh, when you're a pro triathlete, when did you get the feel that, okay, I could be good at this? This is something that maybe I can make a living at. Or have you gotten there yet? <sighs> yeah, so that's one of the hardest questions to answer, actually, because I look back and I think so many times I thought that, yeah. and then I keep sort of redefining that. And so, like, the first time that I definitely thought that was when I won my first Ironman, was Ironman Chattanooga, and I said, okay, like, now I've definitely made it. And then I've always found a way to sort of keep saying, like, oh, you, you have to stay hungry and you haven't made it yet, and, and how do you make it? And I mean, I guess now it's like, okay, second in the world. Um, you would think I would make it, but I'm going, you know, you yeah. haven't really made it till you're first in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, but then you sort of, I'm sure Jan Frodeno is thinking, listen, I need to win another Ironman title. You need that, right? You need the hunger. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you always got to push for that next thing. And I mean, yeah, like I know Jan, I mean, if it wasn't for COVID, he'd probably say, I want seven Kona titles. And that's the definition of him making it, I'm sure, you know, but. So when you, uh, which race was it? So you win Chattanooga, and now did things change? All of a sudden you win an Ironman. Uh, you're probably thinking, okay, I'm, there's going to be more sponsorship. There's going to be more stuff thrown my way because now um, I've won an elite race. Yeah, so before, before I won Ironman Chattanooga, I had won two 70.3s earlier right. that year. And I thought, after the first 70.3, I thought, oh, absolutely, things are going to change. And the phone's going to be ringing off the hook. And, you know, I'm going to be making good money and, you know, living a good life. And um, the phone didn't ring at all. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, the phone didn't ring at all. And so then I was like, okay, you got to win an Ironman. And, and it is true in this sport as a professional you'll get a lot more attention winning an Ironman than even like 570.3s. It's just, it's what people see and what people want. But then what actually happened is I won Chattanooga. It's two weeks before Kona. This was 2019. And yep. then I was like, the phone still wasn't ringing. And I was like, I have no sponsors lined up next year. Like, I got to figure out how to, well, yeah, I got to figure out how to at least make some money. Otherwise, um, my parents are going to be like, get a job. You're still living in the basement and blah, blah, blah. And, so what um, year is this? What this is 2019. Yeah, oh I just God. won the Ironman. And yeah. so then I, I convinced, I was on the Sunto team, the Sunto Timex team, um, a longstanding team. And I convinced them and said, hey, I'll come out and like, I'll represent you guys all week at 
Kona if you right. guys buy my flight. So they did. So I flew out to Kona and I was like, I got to go and I got to sell myself and I got to connect with people. And, um, and I slept on like a different couch every single night. And I went to your thank God I'm not racing party, of course. <laughs> and that's actually how I, how I connected with sponsors was that week was because I, it was like I had the result, but then it was there meeting face to face with people and then um, was able to leave the team actually that year. So I guess them flying me out didn't work out too well for them. But, um, that team went away yeah. anyway. So but then right. it, yeah. it went away. Yeah, it was actually its last year. And then, you know, I think that first year, then 2019, I managed to sign a collective with all my deals. My base was like, my base salary was like $15,000, which is, I mean, you're when you still, got a bu you're still, still in the family's basement. Uh, yeah, I, ju I just moved out a month ago, so that tells you how hard it is. <laughs> it is. I think people don't realize that. They, they see the social media and they see a lot of things out there and they go, okay, these guys got to be doing Because then you see a Jan Ferdano with his Mercedes sponsorship. And, but it's, it's tough as a professional triathlete. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really, really tough to make it. And um, I mean, I, I definitely couldn't have done it without my, my family's support and, and yeah, just letting me live in the basement because it's like you get $15,000 base, but you have to buy all your own flights and, you know, pay for your coach. And at that point, you might get a bike, but you're still having to pay for right. most everything. I mean, it's I was losing money. I was winning races my first few years and still at the end of the year going, I've I've lost money. I mean, it's it's crazy how how long it actually can take. But you just have to kind of have that self-belief. What, what always surprised me, how many Ironmans have you done? You're 25 years old, how many Ironmans have you done? Uh, 16. That's a lot of <laughs> Ironmans for a guy who's 25 years old. And I'm sitting there reading through this and I'm going, 16 Ironmans. And when did you, because you were just racing all the time and having great results. You know, a lot of the results, like when you went to Florida in 7.55 and you're, you're, you're just going, wow, you're having great results racing against the best guys. Um, but there was a point where you connected with Ryan Bolton and things seemed to change because Ryan Bolton was, uh, on, the, was on our first ever U.S. Olympic triathlon team and he's got a, a coaching group down in, in both New Mexico and in Arizona called the Harambe Project and he works with a lot of the top Kenyan runners uh, and you connected with him and he called me, Ryan Bolton called me and goes, Bob, this kid Sam, if I can if I can get a little control over him, and he's not doing 20 Ironmans a year, uh, I think he can be great. When did you connect with Ryan, and what did he bring to the table for you? Yeah, exactly. So I, I connected with Ryan, and yeah, it's true, I owe a lot to Ryan, and will continue to keep owing a lot to this man, because we still have a great partnership and, and work together on a close level. And um, I connected with him in, towards the end of 2018, and that year I raced five Ironmans and like bike races, Xterras, 70.3s. I think I raced like 18 or 20 times that year. And finally connected with him, and then, yeah, he just really has honed me in. And I mean, there's something he always says, and it, the Kenyans do the same thing, so I think he learned from that. He's like, all the Kenyans I work with, and Sam Long too, you know, like you think it's better to go out and race 18 times and get fifth at each one of those and make like $500, but he's like, I'm going to train you and you're going to race three times and you'll win that and make $15,000, you know, at each of those wins. And, um, but it takes, he believed in me really before I believed in myself at that ultimate level. Cause I mean, he would say things to me like, I mean, going into those 70.3s, he's like, you should win this race. And it wasn't like, oh, I, I think you like, it was just, you should win this race. Do, do what you're here to do. It wasn't like a big, 
you know, hoorah, hoorah. It was literally like, it was almost like, if you don't win this race, I'm like, I'm you've let yourself down. Yeah. yeah. And, and you should do it. And um, so that, that belief from him helped a lot. And obviously, yeah, with his running pedigree, at the time, I was really only known as a cyclist. Um, and then he's definitely transformed me into a runner as well now. And, and we're still working on the swim. So one of the cool parts about being in the Harambe Project is you get to run with some of the greatest runners on the planet. When you're running with the Caroline Rotich 2012 Boston Marathon champion, some of that greatness can rub off. What have you learned from Caroline? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the really cool thing with Ryan is, is he's worked with the top athletes. I mean, he was a top athlete himself. I mean, he, he was one of the top USA yep. triathletes um, in his time. But um, these Kenyan runners, and especially Caro, who I've done significant training with, she is just... Um, she has put the hurt down on me like nobody can believe. <laughs> and she's like 5'3". Yeah, 5'3", 100, 105 pounds maybe, 100 pounds, and, and just the sweetest girl you have ever seen in your whole life. I mean, and so mild-mannered and quiet and timid and then, you kills know. Kills you. Kills you. And Ryan's, you. Ryan's whole training program, none of it's like, oh, fluff, and you're going to get like, fast with you know some easy cheat workout it's like okay i start working with him he me and carol are together at the training camp and he's like okay go out and we're doing 22 miles at 550 pace <laughs> and it's like wait in a training run <laughs> <laughs> you know and sure enough there i am and and i'm running behind carol who's five foot two but you know she's flying and i'm like you know, crouched over and she's taller than me running and, and just, I mean, dead and then, you know. Humbling, a little humbling. A little humbling and then she goes back, she sleeps four hours and then runs again that afternoon. And meanwhile, I'm like, oh, I mean, it was just, a, it was an amazing experience of, of just the work she can put in, but yeah. also just her day-to-day -day mindset, her focus on recovery, just everything. I mean, a true athlete and then I mean, I got to see it on the triathlete side, too, because he connected me with Ben Hoffman. And so I really got to see Ben Hoffman um, up close and personal and how he prepared for triathlon events, which was completely different than how I used to prepare for triathlon events. I mean, it was, oh, sure, you know, the, the, like the truth is at the top level, the workouts are like actually the fun part and the work starts after. It's like, okay, you gotta make sure you're recovered. You gotta make sure you've got a full fridge. You've gotta make sure it's healthy. You gotta make sure you're in sleep on time. You've gotta make sure you've got massage. Like it's all of that and it's setting up your whole lifestyle. I mean, you gotta make sure you're, you've got the right friends for God's sakes. It's like, if you don't have the right friends and they wanna go out at 11 p.m. every Friday night, then uh, say goodbye to either your friends or the triathlon career. And um, yeah, it's a hard choice. But <laughs> <laughs> so obviously during COVID, during COVID, you, you're not moving out of your parents' basement because there's no races, right? So you're, you're sort of stuck there. Uh, the race I look at is a defining race for you was Challenge Daytona in December of 2020, because that race had $1.15 million. It was the Collins Cup event, and it had you know, uh, it, it had the great Alistair Brownlee and all the top people on the planet. And I, I talked to a number of the, the European guys and because Sam has been very vocal on social media and a lot of these guys hadn't raced you before, they're going, we can't wait to shut that guy up. We can't wait to make that guy, we're gonna, we're gonna lap him because you're on the track there as a 50 mile run, ride and a 10 yeah. mile run or 11 mile run, yeah, something like that, yeah. 
So could you feel that pressure when you're going there that uh, there was some guys who wanted to take you down? Oh yeah, I mean, I could definitely feel it and it didn't help. I mean, the PTO, well, they helped me, but it didn't help me in a way too because they did all these hype videos about me and, and I showed up and then they put us all in one hotel and everyone all week was just like looking at me and I mean, it was intense. I was like, nobody here likes me. I mean, <laughs> and, and then at the start of the race, I mean, yeah, all these Alistair Brownleys, everyone, I mean, they were just staring me down and I was like, okay, this is it. Like, if I don't show up today, then, then I've, I've lost my reputation with the upper echelon of the sport, which if you do that, then you're probably in trouble. And so I just said, it's, it's time to show up. Well, and it's also probably one of the bigger audiences in history watching this live. Absolutely, and especially after COVID, I mean, nobody had watched a true triathlon race in, I don't know, a year and a half. And then it had basically the best coverage of any triathlon race ever, I think, in my I, opinion. I agree. Um, so then you're in the run and you're waving to the crowd. <laughs> you're like, yo, 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 you're, you're doing the City Hall fist bump. You're doing all this cool stuff and you're moving your way up, running by people. You're up in like third, fourth place. And yeah, up are, to second. I got up you to got second. second. Yes. You got to second place. And now, I mean, obviously you can look back on it and go, hey, I should have conserved. I should have been. But at the end of the day, you got ninth, but you still had to feel like, okay, I announced my presence with authority here. I wasn't afraid of the moment and I went for it. Yeah, I mean, it was awesome. And to be honest, that was the most fun I've ever had in a race because <laughs> hadn't raced all year. I, well, I did a few little races, but they were completely shut down with COVID. There would be nobody there. And then suddenly it's like every lap, you know, and it, it built over the race because I was with Lionel and every lap. At first it's like, no limits, no limits, no limits. And then it's like, yo, 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 yo. And then I was just like, I couldn't contain myself. I mean, it was a party. It and was then, a party. And then on the run, I got so excited. I was having so much fun. I completely forgot to take in any nutrition. So then I got on the final like mile and a half and just exploded. <laughs> and they were, the guys were running by going, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> But you came back from that race and you had to feel optimistic that, okay, this is the best field, probably ever, one of the best fields ever assembled, and I certainly represented well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was probably one of the more times I've been motivated. And I mean, yeah, Ryan to me afterwards, and after we debriefed, and he was like, this is amazing. You got ninth and you made like eight million mistakes and did nothing right <laughs> and still got ninth. So there's a long way to go, you know, and a long way to improve. Yeah, so then, I'm sitting there going, okay, well, he's going to come back for Challenge Miami, but you didn't. You stayed, you stayed focused, right? And you had a, you know, a great buildup into eventually Coeur d'Alene. And Coeur d'Alene was, anybody do Ironman Coeur d'Alene this year? Yeah. Have you stopped sweating yet? What was it like? It, was, it had the highest dropout rate in the history of Ironman, 25% dropout rate, right? It was, it, yeah, it was seriously north of 100. Lionel Sanders was there. You had just had this classic race, right, with Lionel at St. George, where you guys were side by side. He beat you, six seconds is what yeah, he got you by? Yep, you guys watched seconds. that race, right? That was epic, watching these guys side by side. We're thinking Mark Allen. Yeah, round of applause for that. <laughs> <laughs> we're thinking Iron War. We're thinking Mark Allen, Dave Scott. It's one of those races, when you have a race like that, that you, you, know, you, you respect the other guys so much, and you'd much rather have a hey, winning race is great, but getting second in a race like that, that that's got to pump you up. 
Yeah, totally. And I mean, at the time I thought, and it's completely changed my definition of winning actually that race and even this whole year because I thought like, and at the time, oh, I got second and I lost by six seconds and I was like, oh man, I'm, the race wasn't a success. But it took me some time to process that and realize a race like that, I would, I would rather have that experience than win because that's, that's an experience in a race that I'll remember for the rest of my life. And and I mean, Lionel and I, we, we truthfully had a bit of beef before that, but I mean, we are, we are really good friends now after that. And it's, we just understand each other on this deep level that you can only understand, like going toe to toe like that, you know, because you're putting everything out there. You're showing your whole spirit and, and your whole heart. And then, yeah, and you got to see it from the other person too. So what was the beef? Oh God, <laughs> Mount Lemon. I think Mount Lemon started it. And, Oh, oh um, setting up course records up Mount Lemon. Yeah, you know, I took his KOM, and then, I don't know, so many things started it. And then his, Lionel's fans are a little bit... Uh, edgy? Edgy, and, and, <laughs> and came after me a little bit, and then, you know, I stood up to them, and then it just, it all just snowballed from there. But, but it, fun. But it was a fun snowball, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then you go to court, like I said, Coeur d'Alene was really, really hot, and I thought, tactically, your race... Oops. Your race was spectacular. Is that thing go out? Oh, did yo, I yo. Oh, there we go. I thought your race was <laughs> spectacular because you, you you had to make sure you got nutrition in. It's easy, or it's easy not to do the right things when it's that hot out and just go for it. But you sat back and sat back. Did you break the course record that day? Yeah, by like ten minutes almost. On a, the hottest day ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is amazing. Did you surprise yourself with that? No, I wanted to go sub eight, but I went eight oh seven, but. Um, yeah, it, it, it was just too hot. The final 12K, I just yeah. had to let up on the pace. And um, I was on track to go sub eight all day. And, um, but then that heat was just uh, formidable. But it was exactly right. Like that day, um, I just totally listened to myself and, and kind of followed my own plan, and, as well as paying attention to what was going on in the race. But yeah. it was, I mean, it was all about like, yeah, just uh, trust yourself and, and trust your own process and pay attention to your numbers. And it actually helped because um, I had a crazy fiasco getting to that race as well. My, my flight got canceled out of DIA Thursday um, from like some, just like Sacramento this weekend, like the one storm of the year came into DIA and all the flights got canceled that night, every single one. So like 250 flights got canceled. So nobody could fly anywhere. And then um, I decided to fly Frontier Airlines, good <laughs> 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 riddance, <laughs> and couldn't, they had no more flights until next week, and so all the flights were booked. So I ended up flying in Saturday at 1 p.m. So I got there like 18 hours before the start of the race, and, um, but it was just, it, it put me into this proper headspace of like, we always, you know, we're all type A, right? We want every little detail to be perfect. And, um, instead, I was like, nothing's perfect, but the only thing you need to make perfect is, is your mindset and your attitude and, and just go with all the imperfection and all the things that go wrong. So it, it actually ended up being this total blessing because then all sorts of things like went wrong. You know, five miles in, I actually took a wrong turn on the bike and had to loop back a little bit. And then on the run, like on the bike towards the end, like I couldn't get any bottles at an aid station. So I rode like 20 miles with no water and 105 degree heat. And, <laughs> but it was just like, just deal with it and just deal with it and just go forward. And, um, and I guess that's the truth. Like in an Ironman, obviously the preparation is so important, but where you are mentally yes. and, and prepared to suffer and also, yeah, just prepared to have things go wrong is usually more important than, than even the preparation. 
So Collins Cup, go over to Collins Cup, and you're the number one American, right? You get, it's you, Jan Frodeno, Sam Appleton. And did anybody watch the Collins Cup? The Collins Cup was basically Team USA, Team Europe, and then Team International. International was Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. And so each of the team captains, you had Karen Smyers and Mark Allen for the US, Norman Stodler and Natasha Badman for Europe, and then uh, it was Simon Whitfield and Lisa Bentley for the internationals, and Mark Allen, Sam's number one, and Jan Frodeno is the number one there, and Sam Appleton is number one from the internationals. So you're going up against the big boys who are great swimmers. And when I looked, and it was one of those things, as soon as you dove in, and I interviewed Sam Appleton the day before, and he goes, hey, we get points not just for winning, but for second. And so if, I, if Jan and I work together in a swim to drop that guy in a swim, I win. <laughs> I've eliminated. So they did. And they got like five minutes. But it was one of those swims where, like you said, things go wrong. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, it was the worst swim of my entire life. I mean, first off, and, um, we had to dive in. Like off, you know, I don't know, it's this tall or something. And um, I, I don't know if you guys practice your dives, but I do not <laughs> practice my dives. <laughs> and all week I was so worried, oh, my goggles are going to fall off on international television. So immediately I, I, I lose them in the dive. I mean, by the time from this camera to me, they're already like a body length ahead. And I'm like, how did I lose three seconds in three seconds. <laughs> and then, I mean, it just got worse. So the buoys were 400 meters apart. Most Ironman races, they're 50 or 100. Okay, and we just had this huge storm come in. They actually had to delay the race, yeah. and um, I couldn't see anything. And I've lost them, and there's nobody else around because the races are 10 minutes apart. And, oh, I mean, I tell you, Bob, um, once I got out there, and then the helicopter started following me, and I was having these nightmares, like I've gotten completely off course, and they're like laughing at me on television. That's what I'm thinking about. And they're like, uh-oh, you know, he's gone the totally wrong way. And, um, and I actually almost did. I almost ended up, because it was a big rectangle, I almost briefly ended up on the wrong line of buoys because there was a current pushing us over. So it was just, uh, it was one of the worst experiences of my life, actually, because then I came out and I knew it was going to be ugly, and it was. It was like five minutes, um, and I was like, there's no way you're catching Jan Frodeno if you've lost five minutes to him. And I mean, I just wanted to quit right there, but I was like, okay, I guess I'll, I guess I'll do the race. And um, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I'm here, yeah. And, uh, yeah, but it actually ended up being the perfect blessing in disguise because it took all the pressure off of me going into St. George three weeks later because everyone said, like, oh, this guy can't swim. He just got totally destroyed. It's clearly, he's got nothing figured out. And I knew, like, it just was a lot of kind of weird things just went wrong on the swim. And so I was actually somewhat confident. Um, and I just knew I had to work on the swim a little bit more. What was interesting is coming out of that, you, know, you look at the, uh, the field assembled for 70.3 Worlds in St. George and Gustav Eiden, you've got, you've got a lot of great guys there. And if you lost five minutes in basically the same type of swim distance, uh, it, actually it'll even a little shorter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you're going to lose more than five minutes. And so when we went to St. George, that was a big moment because Jan Frodeno said something along the lines while we were over in... in, in uh, uh, Collins Cup about, you know, uh, is Sam more than a duathlete? 
right? He, he's yeah, a great yeah, It was rough. It was rough. <laughs> <laughs> so you came home, back to Boulder, and there's not a lot of places to do open water there. Right? No, no, there's almost none. It's not like here. It's all, it's all private. Yes, everything's private, but you guys found somebody. You found uh, like a secret, a secret place. Yeah, so my, my training group, we befriended the barista at the coffee shop who we knew had a, uh, uh, access to the private lake, and then he started letting our group go and, and swim at his lake. So, um, you know, we'd, we'd sneak in there. Well, not sneak in. He would let us go, but we would still all car carpool in one car and, and swim at this. I mean, the whole lake was... I mean, I don't know, it's 200 meters across. So this lake was not big, but it was perfect. All we did was practice fast starts with all of us. And, and my two main training partners, Tyler Butterfield, um, who's a huge legend of the sport, and then Andre Lopez. And, and I just said, like, guys, we would just got to practice starting fast. And that's what they did. And they just beat up on me. And we would do this, like, I don't know, 15 starts every time we would go. And I mean, I was, like, dying. And, but then I got to St. George, and it was actually easier than what we had practiced. Right. Because what people don't realize, and I'm sure for all of us, when we go to do our first triathlon, you know, let those guys go because they go out too hard. And a lot of times they do start hard, but they back off. And you don't realize it because you never see them, right? You don't realize that they go really, really hard, and then they're like, okay, I've got rid of a lot of those guys. We can slow down now. So for you... You were, you know, they go really hard. You didn't go hard, so now you got this gap that you have to make up. But in St. George, you went hard. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I went really hard, and it was also just practicing it and getting used to some of the contact and, and just figuring out how to kind of get into that slipstream and that draft if someone passes you. And so it was, I mean, again, it was just some pretty simple things that, like, you almost have to have someone show you. Right. Um, and, and, again, same with, like, okay, you got to, I mean, I told myself at St. George, like, the whole entire race is to the first 200 meters. Like, and I said, if you can't race that, then don't even show up. I mean, I literally said that to myself. And so, I mean, at that start line, and, and then I actually, I did things like a longer warm-up, and I took in more caffeine so that I could be, like, really ready, ready to go for that start. Because it's like, if you, especially in the pro field, if you mess up that start, your whole race can be over. Yeah, exactly. So when I look at the splits from that race... If someone told you before the race that Gustav Aiden uh, went 24.54 in the swim and you went 25.54, you lost a minute to him, right? You would have been ecstatic. Oh, I would, yeah, I would have said this is, yeah. Uh, um, it's my race. It, basically, yep. Yeah, and if you said, hey, my bike split for 56 miles and you guys know St. George, there's a lot of climbing, right? And he went two hours flat and 49 seconds. Two hours, 49 seconds. You would have gone... Okay, that's pretty damn good. Except Gustav went 158. <laughs> yeah. And then your run was 112.11. So you put together splits of 25.54, two flat, 112.11. You're thinking, hello, hello, hello. You're thinking you're world champion, right? I'm going to steal yours. This guy's going bad on me. You would think you're world champion, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. It was... Now you killed mine, Bob. <laughs> now this one's bad. Wait. This one. Gino. Gino, Gino, Gino. Oh, check, check. Did they both win? I think they both went. No. Gino? Gino, they both went. Gino. Okay. Oh. I don't know. Oh. oh, you want to take a look? Did I do something wrong? Turn it on and off, maybe? We'll just turn it on and off. How turn it on and off. Check, check. 
we'll edit. <laughs> test, 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 test. Oh. Ooh. Test, test. Batteries? Yeah, it must be. Batteries. Yeah, we'll just talk. Can you hear we me? We can fix them and we'll yeah, just talk a bit louder. So if you thought. Uh, you, oh, it's your touch, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Did it work? Yeah. <laughs> check, check. There we go. Check, check. Okay. Oh. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Gino. 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 Way to go, Gino. Stay here, Gino. Yeah. 25, 25.54, two hours and 49 seconds, 112.11, 341.09. You're 70.3 world champion. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think with Lionel, it was like 343. Two months or whatever, yeah. three months earlier. And um, this was a tougher course. This run was significantly harder. They didn't even compare. I mean, it was, this run was insane. Yeah, I, I would have thought, oh, I did what I would have needed to do. And I, I don't know. It's also the beauty of sport, right? You can, you can write numbers on a piece of paper like you've done. And, um, <laughs> and it doesn't, that's the cool thing, you know? People can achieve things that are, not necessarily beyond them. Obviously, they can achieve it, but it's a, in a world championship event, especially. If that wasn't a world championship event, I would have won by minutes. Right. Absolutely. But on, on the world championship day, people bring their A game and, and do amazing things. And by the way, Gustav went 337.13, which is... Yeah, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't even close. That's no. much crazy. I was like three, three minutes and 30 seconds back or something. With splits you would have killed for. Exactly. Yeah. So... You come off of that, and that at that point, I thought Sam's season's over. He had a great year. You know, time to hang it up. And then Lionel <laughs> decides, I'm going to go do Ironman Chattanooga, and then Sam, which is a week later, right? And then Sam decides, well, if Lionel's going to do it, it gives me another chance to go race against him. And I'm sure when you mentioned that to Ryan, he thought this is the silliest thing ever. But he also knew that sometimes you've got to find out what your limits are. And if you don't push yourself and go to something like that, you don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this decision we're talking about was one of the worst decisions I've made in my entire life. Um, <laughs> and there's been, a, there's been a nice collection of those, by the way. There's been a collection of poor decisions in my career, yeah. But uh, this, was, this ranks up there as one of the worst. And um, it was actually quite hard for me to deal with after. But it's, it's taught me a lot of season planning and, and what not to do because it, it was beyond just anyways the rest of the story is I went there and I actually had a good swim and a good bike and then on the run I was just in excruciating pain in my legs my legs hadn't recovered at all and I had the DNF but then the problem is is then as a you know high-level athlete is I let that DNF basically outweighed the positives of being second in the world so right. it, it's never felt like oh I've achieved second in the world because all I focused on is I DNF'd an Ironman and I and I messed that up, you know. And um, but I'm sure what was your discussion like with Ryan? Because I bet you he looked at it and said, "This kid needs to find what his limits are." Well, exactly, exactly. I mean, he said, "Yeah, I didn't even want you to do this, but I basically let you do this to to find out what this, you know, what this entails, and and that there are limits, and that you can't ask yourself to be second in the world and then, you know, perform at a high level a week la later." And so. Like it's, it's that I won't make that mistake again in, in season planning and setting the right things up. And I mean, the other whole thing is the reason I did, uh, the other reason I did it is my family had this family vacation planned. Um, <laughs> and so they were like, oh, you got to go. Because I, otherwise, I, I don't know, I would have done 
Ironman California or whatever it is now, Ironman Florida or Cozumel or something, but I was like, oh, I can't miss the family vacation. Right. And so then it was like, I, I just found reasons to tell myself, oh, I want to push myself and make this right. And, um, and it just uh, completely backfired. But the smart thing was you knew when to pull the plug and not run your way into an injury. Oh yeah, I mean, if I had finished that thing, it would be not good right now. Um, I mean, already it was too much because I actually, I got sick for like 10 days after just doing what I did. And if I did, a, if I did another 13, I don't, it wouldn't have just been sickness. It would have been some type of muscular or skeletal thing too, so. Yeah. So this next year we have Ironman, the World Championships for Ironman are in St. George. Then we have the for the 2021 championships in St. George, which is obviously good, that's, that's you, right? You're, you've done yep. great in St. George. And there was one other aspect of St. George that I thought was really cool. When you were doing St. George as an age grouper a number of years ago, you were running out and two of your heroes were running down the hill. Lionel Sanders side by side with Sebastian Kimai. Yep, absolutely. You're watching that, right? And then when you had your battle with Lionel in May, you were the guy with Lionel running down the hill when somebody else was coming the other way. You, do you remember those? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what made the one in May so exceptional. And it's actually why I like the May course more than the, the world's course, because at the finish line, everyone can see it so much more and, and all the age groupers can see it. So they literally, like, if it's a good race, they'll stop and cheer people, cheer the pros on. So it just, and I remember being that age grouper who stopped to cheer them on even though it wasn't nearly as close as Lionel and I then were. And then, you know, just five years later, all of a sudden, it's like, um, whatever, I'm transported into this new athlete's body doing what I never thought I could do because they finished like 35 minutes ahead of me when I was watching that or, or something. And I, I went, and I was pretty fit. I got 17th in the race. And I'm going, how in the world am I ever going to go 35 minutes faster, you know? And, and then then you did then I did <laughs> <laughs> and so will the is a goal right now st. George full Ironman in uh, in May definitely yeah that's definitely the early season goal so I mean I love st. George it's no secret and yeah st. George is the the world champs in May the full is the first goal of the season and you're so young and you obviously do well st. George the 70.3 worlds next year are also st. George but it's after Kona so potentially you could do Ironman, St. George, and then back it up with another St. George. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> or, or Kona, but, but it kind of goes back to the lessons from Chattanooga, actually, right? right. Like, can I, can I be an invincible 25-year-old 20, and, and do everything? And Kona and St. George World Champs in May and 70.3 St. George and Collins Cup and 16 other races next year? Or do I say... I just do, you know, Ironman World Champs um, in St. George and then focus on 70.3 Worlds in St. George. Um, Double World Champion, sort of a nice ring. Yeah. Kind of a nice ring. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I have a big round of applause for Mr. Sam. Look! <laughs> yo, yo, yo! yo. Yeah.